Hopefully you guys have had a wonderful, wonderful week. It is cold today, um, and uh, I guess I'm still getting used to uh, desert weather. You'd think it'd be warmer, whatever. Um, but we're super glad that you guys are here. Thank you for braving the cold and joining us. If you're joining us online for the first time, thank you so much for dialing us up. Um, we've been walking through a series called Letters from God, and this series has been all about God's letters to humanity, things that, that aren't just peripheral in our life, but really necessary. Uh, as we've talked about things like hope and things uh, like peace and joy, and this morning we get to unfold the final letter that we're talking about in this series before we get to Christmas Eve, and it's our letter of love. Now, I I'm excited about this letter because um, I think of all the things that we've talked about in this series, all of the hope, the joy, peace, all, I think love is, is that universal word that everyone, whether you're a believer or not, know, you, you at least feel like you have at least an idea of what this is. You have an idea of what love is. Even if it's a wrong idea, it's still this idea of what we feel like love is. Now, if you were like me, I, uh, I was the guy, and some of you guys might, might aim in this because uh, maybe you're with me in this. I was the guy that, um, that would get into a relationship and the feelings would be great. You know, you're just excited and butterflies and all this. And, and then I felt in order to keep this relationship going, I would throw out the L word way too early. Okay, you guys, you know what I'm talking like, like I, I just, you, you just think things are going well, you've been together, you know, a couple days, and it's like, you know, just, just going to throw it out there, you know, I just, I really feel like I love you, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I remember, I remember one of the, uh, the first times I, I did that, I, I thought I, I kind of understood all things uh, about love at this point, and so it was my fourth grade year. I was really excited. <laughs> I was really excited. I was, I thought I was in a relationship with a girl named uh, Kendi, and uh, and Kendi was was my was part of my world, if not my world, in fourth grade, and and you know, and I just figured that that's. That's what you do, you know, as, you, as these feelings kind of grow, you, you then offer this word. Now, again, I, I thought the word embodied what love was, and so I offered that to her, and, and she looked at me, and her face kind of changed, kind of, kind of, she's kind of, and she goes, I, my parents say I can't say that to a boy yet, and I went, oh, oh, okay, um, First form of rejection coming on a fourth grade boy in that moment. Uh, and, uh, but I was always that guy that would just kind of rush that, rush that word out. And, I, and, and, and really what it did, it showed me that I was, like, it, it made me realize how desperate I was for love. And not just for love, but, but to be loved and to show love. And, and there was this thing, I, I, I wanted love in my life. And I wanted to show love, to be loved, all that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, I was the first to tell my wife that I loved her. You can, you can ask her, and, and she told me a week later. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm over it. Um, and uh, But we got married, and it was great. And, but the reality is, is I, I, just, I was so desperate to have this thing that we called love. I didn't always get it right, and, and I, think, I think what's interesting about this word is I think our enemy, the adversary, Satan, and I believe that, uh, that this world that he rules um, as the prince of the power of, of darkness, he, I, I believe that of all the words that he does a masterful job of creating a wrong definition, I think it's this word. Because when you think about this word, love, I, I, I can only imagine the number of definitions, the number of thoughts, the number of symbols, images, the number of relationships, all these different things that we associate with love. But as I've begun to, to dive in, as we begin to unfold this letter, I I think our attachment has been more to something that 
that is not what God originally intended. Not what God originally intended. So join me as we, as we begin to unfold this love letter that God wants to deliver to us this morning. I, uh, it was my first, it was my early years in college, first and second year in college. Um, and I, I remember I was, uh, I, I was a new believer as of high school. Now, I grew up in a Christian family, but make no mistake, you, you can grow up in a Christian family and not be a Christian, and I discovered that in my teen years, and, and uh, I, uh, my parents had said that I said a prayer, and I got baptized in a very cold Lake Michigan, and anyway, there was a lot of things that, that went on, and, and I had this false assumption that I really did know Christ, but I really didn't know Christ. And, and so it wasn't later until my teen years that I, I began to do that. And it was then that God's spirit was now in me. And so I began to determine this Christian life uh, with the spirit of God living in me and how the word of God was now reading upon me. And, and I began to see what was right and see what was wrong and understand how to live and understand what ultimately God wanted uh, from me and how I was supposed to live out my, my life in a lot of ways, but I realized um, as I began to do that, that um, uh, my first and second year were probably some of my most challenging years in my early formative Christian life. Because I, I, I remember that of all the things that I was able to kind of walk away from, there was things that I, that, that I, I, I was a part of that I no longer wanted to be a part of as I began to walk with Christ. But there was this one lingering thing, this one lingering temptation that seemed to plague me. And it was this area of lust. And it just, I mean, as an 18-year-old boy and um, with the whole world ahead of me and I, oh, I was the youngest of four boys and uh, it seemed like all my brothers had r- relationships and and, uh, and, and I, was, I, was, I was constantly trying to do what, what God wanted me to do, and I, and I ultimately knew what was right and what was wrong, but, but this area continued to kind of reveal itself at different times. And I remember this one holiday season that I, um, that I stayed at school, and um, and so I, as I'm at school, I stayed there because I needed to, to, to work and do some other stuff with school. And, and, um, but I had a lot of time on my hands. And idle hands for guys becomes a dangerous place. And I remember um, as I was there, I, uh, I was visited by this lingering temptation once again. And, and I knew... I knew I shouldn't call off that old girlfriend that was still in town. I knew that I shouldn't have dialed her up and, and I knew I, I shouldn't have gone over to her place. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember following that, that, that time, that, that, that following evening, I just remember feeling just this, ins- like this overwhelming sense of shame and guilt and um, disappointment, if I can say that. I, here's the thing. I, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have gone there. I knew I shouldn't have di- even made the phone call, and yet I did. And, and, and I knew that... that what I was engaging in was not of God. And I just remember how I felt and how, how it just kind of made me physically sick. I remember, I mean, I was physically sick. And, um, and I remember how I never wanted to feel that way again. Jefferson Bleth, um, uh, Bethke made this statement, and I think it, I think it, this conflict that I had is, is, it was found in this quote that I discovered. He says, what's more evil, being blind and living in ignorance, or knowing what is right and still doing what is wrong? See, I knew what was right, and yet I still did what was wrong. 
And it was that following evening, I remember, or that following morning, I woke up, and I'm looking up at my ceiling, and I'm just having this moment where I'm just feeling the way that I'm feeling, constantly attacked in this moment. And in that moment, though, something happened. Like, it was unexpected. I mean, it was quiet, and I'm looking up at this, at this room, and then all of a sudden there was this quietness that fell over me, and God actually spoke to me. And it wasn't this audible voice, but it was, it was so clear. And I remember, he, it's almost like he rested so heavily on my soul in this moment, and I remember his, his words so clearly. He said, Joel, I'm not done with you. I desire you. I forgive you. I love you. And I think it was in that moment, for the first time, that I didn't just have God's love, I, I understood God's love for me. And I realized how much my soul longed for it, how much I needed it, how much I desired it. I mean, I always talked about it. I threw throw out the word like it was, uh, like it was a compliment more than actually knowing what it meant. And but when I was finally kind of ushered into that moment, the moment that that was most unexpected, like the moment that I shouldn't have been ushered into that moment. Like the moment when I felt like I was the antithesis of where I should be, where I knew God and I understood him and I was in, I was in a relationship with him and, I, and yet I still walked this sinful path. He showed up. Jesus showed up. I love, I love reading books and I, and I love how I came across a book that, that actually for, for years as I've, I've, as I've looked back at this moment in my life and um, there was a book that I come, came across that kind of embodied some of the words, the moment that I felt uh, like when I was lying in bed and, and what it kind of meant to me and how it felt. And, and there's a book called Jesus is Greater Than Religion and it's a great book, but, but the author shares, uh, he almost had this identical experience as me, which is fascinating, and, uh, uh, but he articulates it in words I hadn't been able to articulate it. And I just I just want to read you this excerpt because it really kind of embodied this moment of love for me. And this is what, this is what the author said. He said, I had a feeling of utter quiet and peace. I didn't hear those words in my ears, but I, I felt them whispered into the depths of my bones. I love you. Immediately, relief and the epiphany that I hadn't, actually, I hadn't surprised God. It rushed over me. See, I, I hadn't caught, God, caught God off guard. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he saw all that I will ever be. And all that I'll ever do, including the decision I had just made. And all I'll ever want outside of him. But he joyfully came and he got me. And he looked down and he said, I want that one. I want that one. See, I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it, but he freely loves me. And he gave me grace. Not only did I not deserve his love in that moment, but if anything, I deserved the opposite. And make notice, I deserved the opposite. But he chose to let his beauty and his love and his splendor pour out from him into all of my ugliness. See, I learned in that in that moment, 
that Jesus, his love was always meant, always meant to be the aftermath of my sin, the aftermath of your sin. See, we think that it can only be found once I get my life together and once I get all the, the ducks in a row and once I, get, I figure out all this Christian life. No, see, the greatest form of love is actually found after the most tragic part of life. See, it's the, it, Jesus' love was always meant for the aftermath of my poor decisions and my brokenness and my, and my, my flaws and my failures, just like it's, it's always meant for the aftermath of your life. See, that's where true love is is understood and experienced because I, I realized in that moment that, that love is not a what, but a who. It's a who. And I, and I realized also in that moment that love, that kind of love, is not optional. It's essential to really understand and experience life the way God designed you to. Like, it's not a, we can have it. No, you must have that kind of love. And the reason why I know that is, is in Paul's letter in Corinthians in chapter 13, which they always call the love chapter for obvious reasons, but in chapter 13, there's a verse that I just want to draw attention to one verse. It's, it's verse 2. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. It says, and if I have prophetic powers, meaning if I had the powers of all the prophets in the Old Testament, and I knew things that were coming, and, and God quickened things to me, and he, and, and he goes on to say, and, and I understand all the mysteries, and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith. So all of a sudden, Paul's going, I can have all the, pro the prophetic powers in the world. I can almost be, if, we're, if we kind of size this up, or sum this up, basically saying, I can be omniscient, all-knowing. Like, I got all the information, and I have all the faith that I need. If I have all of that as to remove mountains, but have not love, this is what he says, I'm nothing. So you... You can have all these things. You can be the smartest person in the world. You can be the most gifted person in the world. You can have all of the stuff in all of the world. You can be the most charismatic and the most attractive. And you can have all these things. And you can have all the understanding of the universe. And if you don't have this, then it's always going to lead you to this. See, and I... I think if we're honest, if, we, if we're honest with all of the avenues that we've chased down, especially in this area that we call love, how many times have we come to this? It seems to visit us often. We get to the end of our rope, we get to this brokenness, we get to the bottom of the barrel, we get to this, this, this moment of where we're just, we're broken and I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And ultimately, what God's saying is, is because you don't have this. Now, you've tried uh, maybe deformed views of this. You've maybe tried world's, the world's uh, definition of this. You may have tried everything that you can in order to satisfy this, but anything less than what God determines as love will always leave you here. Always. I discovered that love is not a what, but a who. We were made to be recipients. Do you realize that? See, God wouldn't say this unless he, he understood that we, we needed to have this. Like, we have to have love. Without that, we're nothing. So, so all of a sudden, it, it, it creates this essential, this essential characteristics, this essential quality, this essential thing in my life that I have to have, because if I don't have it, I got nothing. So he's saying, you've got to have it. It has to be a part. And we were made to be recipients of the greatest form of love known to man. And I want to read to you a, a story that helps us answer this question. It's in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, this will be the passage we'll be looking at. But John chapter 8, 
starting in verse 1, it's this story about this woman who doesn't deserve it, knows she's not worthy of it. Oh, but she longs for it. She longs for it. And for the first time, she actually came to know it. So John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, follow along with me. It's going to be up here on the screens if you don't have it. This is what it says. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. See, a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. And he was speaking, and the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees decided to bring a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd, made a spectacle of her, and said, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? See, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, and so he stood up again. And he said, all right, but, all, but, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Heavenly Father, we, we invite you to be here this morning. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would utter the words, speak the words that only you can, that, that you would lead us into understanding exactly what love is. God, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for loving us enough to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. God, would you, would you lead us into all truth here this morning? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this woman, it's a broken woman. She was actually caught in the act of adultery. I mean, in the midst of it, and these Pharisees, they traipse her out and throw her in a shameful, public, open, open way to make a spectacle, to make a point out of this shameful woman. And they... They bring her before Jesus, who's in the temple, and, and they say, teacher, teacher, hey, uh, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We should kill her. That's what the law of Moses says. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus' response was, I, I just think was masterful. It says he looks at him. And you can almost see this moment take place. He looks at him and he goes, um, he doesn't even say anything. He kneels down and he starts drawing pictures in the dirt. And that's the way that I see it. I mean, he, he's basically saying, your intrusion is not impor as important as my finger painting, okay? I mean, he's, he's going, you guys, I know what you're trying to do. And maybe he's almost like, you're not worth my time in this moment, Okay, and, and so he starts drawing, I don't know, he's writing on the ground, he's writing in the dirt, and they just keep berating him, and they're, they're trying to get an answer out. Jesus, we demand an answer. Finally, Jesus is like, all right, all right. Comes up to him, and he goes, any of you that doesn't have sin, go ahead and pick up your first stone and toss it. And what happens? These guys who were sure they were going to trap Jesus, who were sure all of a sudden 
And it says it, says it start, started with the oldest. Started with the oldest. The oldest in the group goes, I've lived a long life. Uh, I'm a broken mess. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, peace out. You know, and he takes off. And then slowly but surely, the rest are like, um, yeah, I've sinned. I've, I've blown it. And what Jesus was doing is as he was leveling the playing field. He goes, if we're honest, all of us deserve the same penalty that this woman does. All of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death. That's what Jesus was saying. He goes, the price for everyone's sin is death. And he's basically saying, look, all of you, in and of yourself, are adulterers. You've all found other things that you have adultered your life. You have loved more than me. And you've chased down all these avenues. But if you think you're sinless, you grab that first stone and you chuck it at her. And everyone disappeared. Do you notice that in this passage, when all of a sudden it's just this woman and Jesus standing there, do you realize that Jesus doesn't say anything, not one thing about her sin? He doesn't go, so you're dealing with adultery. See, this woman, I think without Jesus even saying, she already knew shame. She already knew humiliation in this moment. She realized that what she had done and was engaging in was wrong. In fact, she might have even already come to the conclusion that I am worthy of death and nothing else. I deserve what I'm about to get. Maybe she came to that conclusion. And, and many of us that, that come to that place where we feel so disgraced and we feel so unloved and we feel so broken and we're at the bottom of our barrel, maybe we feel like that the worst of life and the worst torture and the worst uh, end should come upon me because that's all I'm worthy for. It's all I'm good for. I deserve this tragic end to my life because that seems to be the sum total of my life. And maybe she came to this point, but that's not what Jesus did. He said, where's all your accusers? And is there anyone left here to condemn you? And this woman goes, no, Lord. And in this moment, it was the same message that I experienced on my bed that morning. You can see Jesus look at him, look at this woman with such love. Neither do I. I delight in you. You're mine. See, I came for you. See, I came for those that don't know what love is. I, I came for those that feel not just unloved, but you don't even feel lovable. Like I came for those that, that, that are broken and hurting and, and you're, you don't think that you're worthy. And this is, where, this is where you get to see love for the first time because it wasn't a thing that Jesus was offering. It was a who he was offering himself is I don't condemn you either. Be loved. Be forgiven. Step into this moment for eternity, it satisfies, it's enough. See, it wasn't found in another relationship. It wasn't found in an, an adulterous affair. It wasn't found in any of those things. It was found in a person, it was found in Jesus. And so if we go back to even 1 Corinthians 13, the love that is that we're longing for that is essential for all humanity is not another sexual relationship or another encounter. It's not another emotional relationship or an encounter. It's not another mental relationship or an encounter. It's actually a God relationship with a human person that says, I can't, but you can. And, he, and God looks at us and he welcomes us and he invites us in and he says, I loved you before I formed you. 
I had you on my mind and on my heart from before you were even a thought. This is who I am. Like, I don't make mistakes. I'm not surprised by your sin. But I can show you the love that frees you from it. I can show you the love that frees you from it. And that, that's not a, it's not a what, it's a me. It's a Jesus thing. I love what John 1.17 tells us here. John 1.17 says this, For the law was given through Moses. And that's what the, the, the Pharisees were all jumping on board. The law says this. Okay, okay. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through who? Jesus. Unfailing love comes through Jesus. It doesn't come through a boyfriend or girlfriend. Unfailing love comes through Jesus. It's not about, uh, it's not about doing enough good works and, and humanitarian efforts. And all those things are good. But understand, if you don't have the essential component of love, you'll never be able to actually demonstrate the right kind of love to a world that is desperate for love. Unfailing love only comes from Jesus, which means, husbands, your, your focus for the love that you need in your life better not be on your wife. And wives, your focus for the unfailing love that your heart and soul needs better not be focused on coming from your husband because no one is worthy of that responsibility, no one is capable of fulfilling that responsibility that only comes from God. Only God. Love is not a what, but a who. Because love was always, from the beginning of time, Jesus hasn't been trying to be elusive. God's love was always meant to be known. Do you know that? It was always meant to be known. It was never meant to be some, so mysterious and so elusive that we could never understand, which is why God displayed himself and did the things that he did and, and was the example that he was and went the places that he went and engaged in the things that he engaged in so that the world may truly understand love. And it's not a what, it's a who. I love what John 15, 9 tells us. John 15 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So as God loves you and I, so the Father loves his Son. And then he says, remain in my love. There is no greater love. Now listen to this. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's Friend, no greater demonstration of love. You, this is, what, but then he goes on to say, who, well, who's, who's Jesus' friends? You are my friends. If you do what I command, I am no, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything, the Father has told me. See, Jesus got up on a wooden cross. First of all, he came down from heaven. He got down off of the right-hand throne of God, took upon himself the form of a, of a servant by putting on fleshly skin, this, 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 corrupt, uh, this corrupt fleshly husk that we're surrounded by, that we're, we're chained to, for, for a century or less, Jesus came down in that form. He took upon himself the form of a servant, and then he lived a perfect, sinless life. And this perfect, spotless lamb got up on a wooden cross in order to demonstrate what he says in, first, in John 15, the greatest form of love by laying his life down for his friends. You keep coming back to nothing. And I love this picture of this adulterous woman in this moment. It was almost like 
Um, we chase after one adulterous affair of sin in our life, and then we chase after another adulterous affair of sin in our life, and we chase after another adulterous affair, thinking that that will bring in what we want. And, and every time it leads us back until all of those avenues are done and gone, and the only true love that's still standing there in the middle is Jesus. Jesus is still standing there. You see, all the other loves failed. All the other loves, except this one that was standing there with this woman, it was just her and him. And finally, Jesus' love was enough for her. And Jesus' love is enough for you. His forgiveness is available to you because he loves you. Because he is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that doesn't love does not know God for God is love. He is the essence of love. He is love. And so when he offers love, he is offering himself. And when he offers himself, he takes over yourself. And when he takes over yourself, you begin to understand and experience love unlike you ever have before. And it's not an earthly relationship. It's a heavenly union. That's what he intended for all of us to experience this moment where we get filled with all that we can muster and all that we can handle. And as we get into this holiday season, the reason why Jesus coming to earth was so powerful, why Jesus came to earth and we look at Christmas every year is because love is now available to you. Because in the Old Testament, you see these highs and lows, and they have these glimpses and these, these small little glimmers of what love is and all these other, uh, this hope and joy, and, but they never really could step into it. It felt still so distant until finally God showed up, and he said, I love you. I'm here. See, God does not and will not compete with the world's love. He won't do it. You know why? Because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to compete with the world. He just lets all of those, the, the, the world's love and the world's definitions of love fall to nothingness till he's the only one standing there. He's not going to compete with it. He doesn't have to. I love the fact that it wasn't only meant to be known. It was also meant to be shown. Look at this passage here in 1 John 4, 19. It says this, we love each other. Why? Because he first loved. Because he loved us first. Do you realize you can't give what you don't have? If you really want to love your children, you really want to love your spouse, you want to really love others, you got to ha first have love. So you're saying, Joel, for those that don't have Christ, they're offering a, a, a kind of a, kind of a, a fracture, fractured version of love towards others? Yes. That's exactly what the Bible's telling us. Without Jesus, without him first loving us, how can we ever truly love others? It will be deficient. That's why, we, that's why the world loves to attach love equals sex. No, it doesn't. Love does not. But the best form of sex is found in Christ's love. Do you understand? In, in his definition, in what he designed, in what he planned between a man and a woman once for all time, this was God's plan, God's design. And in that, you get to experience the greatest type of earthly Love, but it's not even based on the, the intimacy of the physical connection. It's based on the spiritual connection. The greatest form of intimacy that a husband and a wife can share between each other is based on Christ and not on each other because it's an unfailing love and it's an unconditional love and it'll never fade away. It will always remain, which means that the storms of life and the trials of life and the tragedies that happen in every single marriage from the beginning of time, well, you can be able to sustain the greatest storms no matter what 
because of Jesus, not because of you. This was God's design. I don't mean to jump on marriage, but you can't, you can't separate the two, which is why God uses so many times marriage as an example of our relationship, our love relationship with him. He defines us as the bride and him as the bridegroom. Even when we had adultered our heart and our life to everything else, the bridegroom still came and he still gave himself and collected us and called us home and loves us in spite of us and not because of us. This is the beautiful picture of love that Jesus gave to us. And when we get it, God says, you gotta show it. Show that love. That's why we can love because he first loved us. There was a story in John again, in John chapter 13, of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Now, Peter didn't fully understand, okay? He, he was like, Jesus, why are you washing our feet? We should be washing yours, and, and all of that. And anyway, so he interacts with Peter in a little bit, but, but he concludes it by jumping into John chapter 13, verse 12. Let me, let me pick up after Jesus was done washing his feet. It says, after washing their feet, the disciples' feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, and he says, do, do you understand? Do you understand what I was doing? Like he's actually, he's going, are you catching this? Like, like, don't miss this moment. You call me teacher and Lord. It's easy to throw that out. Jesus, oh yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, but ultimately, you're, you're right. I am. Because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash others' feet. You gotta wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow, so do as I have done to you. Like there's no mixing of words here. If you have been loved with this greatest love, then in turn, you now take this love and you show this love to a world that does not know love. This was always God's intent. This is why he says the church, the people of God, it's not a building, it's not brick and mortar, it's not an organization, it's an organism made up of broken lives and people who don't, guess what, we're all, I was having a conversation a couple weeks ago, and the, the guy was just like, man, there's so many hypocrites in church, and I went, well, yeah, <laughs> if, if you're a hypocrite, welcome, you're in good company, because me too, you know, I, the reality is, is we don't always get it right, we don't always function the way this incredible love letter tells us to function and to live the way that we're supposed to live. But God still loves us. He still calls us. He still works through all of these broken people. And he says, I will love these hypocritical, broken, sinful people. I will redeem them. I will save them. And I will use them. This is what God wants the church to do. And that's why when we get up to, to Christmas and we, like, don't just, don't just get these cards and go, okay, I'll stick it in a, a box. Go give an invitation to someone. Like, go find someone and actually give them a verbal invitation to go, hey, someone changed my life. And I just want to tell you about them. And, and I don't know what you're doing on this Christmas, but, but I want to invite you to be a part of maybe hearing the this message of love that, that first introduced me to the greatest love I never thought I could have. And it's not a what, it's a, it's a who. So would you join me at this Christmas Eve because I'd love to introduce you to who that is. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's loving people enough to go beyond those, those moments that are gonna take some courage. But make no mistake, Jesus will do it through you. God will do it through you. See, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his son because his son is love. You see that? That whoever believes in that love, in his son, 
will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So, so it was this giving of love and this receiving of love that we can now show love to a world that's desperate for love. This was the plan. And this is what he's called us into. I love what Romans 12, 9 and 10 says, and with this will be done, says this. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Don't just pretend. We can do that all the time. <laughs> like we, we, we've gotten good at it. Don't just pretend to love others. The Pharisees, they, they pretended to love others. The, the, just the purely religious we can pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Jesus, my Savior, did not just pretend to love us. He didn't just pretend to love me. He didn't just pretend to love this woman, this adulterous woman, and he's not pretending just to love you. He really, really loves you. And he really wants you to know this love. And in fact, he's, he's asking you to come into his love, discover his love, taste his love for the first time. And because like I said, I didn't truly understand the fullness of this love until the aftermath of my sin. And maybe you're in that place of where you feel like I don't deserve anything you just talked about, Joel. You know, I've, I've chased down these avenues. I have gone these, I've gone in circles. I have, I have continued to deal with this, this sin in my life. And for some, it might be something as simple as apathy. For others, it might be, it might be adultery. It might be lust. It might be, uh, it might be substance abuse. It might be these other things. I don't know what it is. But regardless is the aftermath of your sin is the availability of Jesus' love. And it's made available to you. And it's made available to me. And he just, he just wants to say, look, I want to claim you as my own. And just like he shared with me on the bed, and it always, Joel, I'm not done with you. And that's what he's saying to you. I'm not done with you. I haven't, I didn't make a mistake. It's not like you surprised me with your sin today or the, the sin from yesterday or the sin that's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not surprised. I am just offering you an unconditional love and you just, need to be willing to receive that. Receive me. It's not a what, it's a who. Because if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. See, with that salvation comes the greatest form of love you and I could ever want or hope for. Our souls demand it. Because everything else will lead you to nothing. Lead you to nothing. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Maybe you're in a place that you just need the greatest love of all. Maybe you need Jesus. See, love is not a what, it's a who. You can't earn it, you can't buy it. It's just received. It's putting your faith, your hope and trust in what Jesus did on your behalf. Maybe some of you just forgot that love. Maybe you had it and you, but, but you need to remember that love once again. Or, or maybe some of you love, know that love. Some of you have that love, but you've never shared that love with anyone else. And we just need to begin to be bold and share that love to a world that has no idea what love is. But if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to understand this this greatest love of all, which is made available to you this morning, then I'm going to lead you into a prayer. And you, there's nothing magical about this prayer, but it's about you talking to Christ himself, who you have his undivided attention. 
But if you want to know Jesus Christ and you want to begin to experience and rest in his love for all of eternity, you can say this prayer silently in your heart or out loud by saying, Dear Jesus, I have sinned. I've lived my own life. I'm broken. I don't even know what love is. But I need you. Jesus, would you love me? Would you save me? You showed me love when you died on the cross for me. When you were buried in a tomb for me, taking all of God's wrath on yourself for me. But you rose again because you're God and you love us eternally. A love that never fades, a love that never ends. Let me rest in your love for the rest of time. Jesus, thank you for loving us that much. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every single person in here. Lord, I pray that if there, there are people here that just said that prayer for the first time, God, I pray right now in this moment that they are seeing the picture of who you are in, in their minds, that you stand before them and you are welcoming them with open arms with all of the sin and all the junk saying, I love you regardless in spite of you and not because of you. I'm welcoming you home. God, I pray for those that have known your love but just forgot it. God, would you usher them back into this moment of, of realizing that the greatest love of all is not in a what, it's in a who, it's in you. Remind us once again of all that you are. But God, I also pray right now that we weren't just to know this love, we were also supposed to show this love. So God, as you have done, would we do? As you have loved, would we love others? Would we not keep this to ourselves, but we would go out and we would show the world what a person fully loved, even though we're a broken mess, but a person fully loved looks like. God, would we share this love with a world that is so desperate to know what love is? Thank you for who you are. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this moment. Bring us to a place we have never been before. Thank you for wanting us. Thank you for drawing us into you this morning. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name we pray.